This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 164. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today for this special episode, I've got on the on the line Mr. Matthew Marister out there in Ohio. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Mr. Bowman. Thanks for having me back. What do they say out there in Ohio? What, you know, like you don't say howdy, do you? <laughs> no, we're we're Midwestern, so we just say you know, hey, how how you doing? <laughs> We see Midwestern people. We don't have an accent. It's everybody else has an accent. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I'm sorry. You know, we don't have Jacob with us today, and uh, I, I'm I'm just making fun of him a little bit because the last episode we did together, he gets in and he's like, "Howdy," <laughs> which we don't really talk like that, but uh, uh, it was just funny and. Anyway, got me thinking, you know, th- there are different regions of our country and, and folks have different, uh, I, for for instance, I use the word folks all the time, uh, but people, you know, say different things and say things differently and uh, it's always fun to, to see. But anyway, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, uh, Mr. Marister. Yeah, it's always and, great to be here. Yeah. And so today we are talking about holsters, problems and solutions and it, you know, I thought you were just the man to do this episode with because um, a number of episodes ago, you and I, we did two episodes, uh, a part one and a part two. Uh, I think it was called, Is Your Holster Dangerous? And uh, we, we explored some issues and, and problems we see a lot of times with holsters uh, that can make them sometimes a problem, make them dangerous. Uh, I think one of the issues we highlighted was uh, some holsters that... I think we shared the story of a pocket holster or something that got really worn um, after many years of use and the uh, trigger guard area folded inward on the trigger as he was doing something and it caused the gun to, to, to fire. And uh, so so that was more focused on dangers of holsters. This one is really looking at holsters, how they're designed, some of the common design problems or material problems or other things that we see. I mean, Matthew, you're you're very busy. You stay very busy reviewing holsters from various manufacturers. Um, I've certainly reviewed or at least demoed uh, my fair share. And I, I've pulled out not even all the holsters that I have, uh, but my my desk right now is literally a heaping pile of holsters because I wanted to have them in front of me as we talk about this. There'll be a couple of uh, of these that will remind me and prompt me about some of uh, my gripes with uh, some of some of the way these holsters are made or designed, and uh, so I, I hope what will come from this, listeners, is that you will be a little bit better educated and prepared to make a wise choice of your next holster, uh, so that or maybe you realize that oh hey my holster has this problem and. And uh, Riley and Matthew just brought it to my attention. Uh, you might regret that because now you're gonna, you know, want to go maybe fix that and, and buy something else. But anyway, that's the whole deal with today's episode. First of all, you should know that this episode is sponsored and brought to you by Guardian Nation. And I want to specifically mention that tonight we're recording this on Thursday, October twelfth. Uh, this episode should go live today as well. Uh, 
And tonight at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, so that's going to be 9 p.m. for you, Matthew, out there in the Eastern time zone. At 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, we have Mr. Tim Schmidt, the founder and head of USCCA, on our Guardian Nation monthly live Q&A broadcast. And that is your opportunity, Mr. And Mrs. Guardian Nation members out there uh, to, to to see and interact face to face with with us, Jacob and myself, and also with these top industry professionals that we invite to be on Guardian Nation Live each month. And so tonight, our guest is Tim Schmidt. We're going to be talking about the USCCA, some exciting things that have uh, uh, come about there uh, at the USCCA headquarters, and also I think just. Tim's view and vision about concealed carry, the Second Amendment, and things like that in general, because uh, he 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 really gets it. So uh, we hope that you'll join us tonight. If you're not a Guardian Nation member, go check it out now, GuardianNation.com. And don't forget, it comes with a. That's just like that's probably like one of the smaller membership benefits. Honestly, I don't mean to make things you know better than another, uh, but. That is really a small piece compared to everything that members receive uh, for being Guardian Nation members. So check it out, guardiannation.com. We hope to see you in the nation. And uh, yeah, today's other sponsors are Pig Lube and Quick Draw. And we hope that you'll check out those guys. Pig Lube makes fantastic uh, firearm lube, lubricants, and also a new solvent or cleaner uh, for your guns that uh, really does a great job, is not nearly as caustic or harmful uh, as some other cleaners out there that I've used. And uh, so the, the cleaner's great, the, the lube is fantastic, and if you're, if you're into this sort of thing, you can buy even their bacon-scented variety, uh, which is always fun. And Quick Draw makes really great stuff that I think actually helps holsters, and so it's very appropriate that they're a sponsor of today's episode. So, oh, hey, one other thing. I did want to touch on the recent episode we did. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this too, Matthew, especially since we haven't, we haven't had you on the podcast since this whole Las Vegas thing occurred and, right. and stuff like that. So, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but, but a couple days ago, Jacob and I did a episode and in that episode, and I, I knew it would be kind of controversial. Uh, there's some controversial things going on right now in our, in our nation, unfortunately. Uh, some of those obviously being new gun control legislation uh, that folks are debating and and uh, spreading out there. A lot of misinformation and lies in the media and, and, and even from our politicians. Obviously to many that shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, but uh, that's the way it goes. And, uh, you know, of course, with things involving guns and gun control, the NRA is naturally going to get involved. And the NRA is a political uh, organization. Uh, they, I mean, they're, they are our lobby. Uh, whether you fully support them or not, uh, they, I believe they do make an effort to lobby for, for our interests in, this, in the country uh, relating to, sec- to the Second Amendment. But uh, does, that, does that mean they always do things right? Or does that mean that... Uh, that they always represent every viewpoint from gun owners? No, and frequently they upset gun owners. Uh, and, and that certainly happened last week when they came out and said, you know, all right, b- bump stocks, they should be looked at. 
the ATF should review them, see if they comply with current federal laws. And that was basically the gist of the statement. But the way it was received, and I'll admit, I even, at first, I, my, my initial thought was, oh my gosh, they're caving on the bump stock issue. They're saying, yep, let's outlaw them. Let's get rid of them. But that's not exactly what they said. And so obviously it was a very cleverly, you know, lawyer crafted statement that sort of covered, you know, their butts uh, from a PR standpoint, but also didn't really say that or, or completely turn their backs against uh, the Second Amendment. And so we got a review of the podcast and Mr. Combs, I think it's your last name. Uh, I appreciate you for listening and for leaving a review. And you said to us, and this is a fair statement, what part of shall not be infringed do you guys not understand? You and the NRA pretend as if the bump stock was not used. The event would have never happened. So why give it up? And so Thank you, Mr. Combs. I appreciate, like you said, your viewpoint and for sharing that with us. Um, and it's a fair point and a fair statement. Now, I do want to be clear, and if you'll actually listen to what I said on, uh, well, it released on Tuesday, on Tuesday's episode earlier this week, uh, I said, I don't really care about bump stocks. Um, I didn't say I want them to be outlawed. I said if they were, it wouldn't really hurt my feelings from a personal standpoint. But I was very clear in saying on the principle, I am absolutely opposed to them being outlawed because it doesn't make sense because contrary, you know, or countering what you said there, Mr. Combs, uh, that we pretend that if the bump stock was not used, the event would never have happened. Uh, I actually stated in the podcast that even if, um, that, that even if bump stocks were illegal or not easily obtained, that Mr. Stephen Paddock, who committed that heinous act, could have still stood there in the hotel window, held the, the rifle against his, his uh, thigh or his hip, stuck his fingers to the trigger guard, and did the classic, you know, the old way that we, we used to all bump, bump fire our guns for kicks and giggles. And he still would have been just as effective because he had a huge crowd below him. And so, yes, I get it that the bump fire stock has nothing to do with the attack at Mandalay Bay. Has nothing to do with it at all. And yeah, I think it's dumb and not, and that it shouldn't, that stocks shouldn't be outlawed. And the current bill that has been proposed by Diane Feinstein and supported by others is such a terrible bill because it could lump into it all manner of accessories and modifications that, that, I mean, aftermarket triggers. And Matthew, I, I'm set, I'm going to give you your, your chance to give us your piece, obviously. And I know that you've got some aftermarket triggers, and you like them. Heck, as a three gunner, I've got a great trigger in my AR-15 that lightens the trigger pull and allows me and it shortens the reset, uh, eliminates over travel, allows me to shoot faster. Now, does does it allow me to shoot? automatic fire, you know, speed? No, but it does allow me to shoot a little faster than if I didn't have that trigger and a little bit more accurately too. So now trust me, folks like Diane Feinstein have no problem with getting rid of even those types of accessories. And I think that sort of thing could and may come if we are not careful, if we let our guard down. So 
I don't see it as though that the, the NRA is uh, uh, tucking their tail between their legs and and uh, you know uh, slouching their way back home, you know, into their cave. It, it's I, I think their statement was very politically well crafted, uh, and this is a continuing fight. I guarantee you that, and it needs to be so. We cannot let our guard down. Now, your take, Matthew. All right, so. Um... Yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot. But no, I mean, I I think um, you hit a couple really good points as far as um, you know the NRA. I, I when when I first heard the the statement, I I was also you know thinking, oh my god, you know they're just bailing on the Second Amendment. But you know, if you look at what they said, they never really said that they want it to be banned. They want the um, the DOJ to look at it. And I think craftily doing that bought some time to let the emotion of the incident kind of diffuse because um, the DOJ really, I, I don't believe that they can legally um, ban the bump stock just because they don't have, I don't, I don't believe they have the authority. I think it has to be a law that's legislated through Congress to, that would actually have to to ban it because um, it doesn't really fall under um, the National Firearms Act. So, I, I mean, that that was just my take, and I and I kind of looked at it as a positioning um, statement to say, you know, let's let's decrease the the chance of making a rash judgment on this. Um, kick it over to the DOJ to have them look at it and say, we either were right when we, you know, we legalized it or we were wrong, but chances are they're going to say we were right and we don't have the authority to outlaw it, kick it to Congress, let them do it. And then by then the emotion has kind of died down and they can make more, um, you, you know, the information will have come out a little bit more information and things like that. So, um, and, and, you know, because obviously we're seeing the the laws that, that they want to pass are going to say, well, let's ban bump stocks. That'll be the headline of it. But then inside that, it'll be such a far reaching law that it's, it's going to, you know, um, uh, attack so many other things. So, I mean, I, I get it. You know, people are always concerned about, you know, thou shall not infringe uh, on my Second Amendment rights. And I understand. Um, but I... I I do think the NRA, I, I still support the NRA, and, and that's my opinion. I know it's going to probably sour me toward, to some people, um, but I think that they're doing what they need to do to position themselves um, to defend, you know, our gun our gun rights. Uh, that's just my, my opinion. Yeah, and I appreciate you for your opinion. You know, it's... It, we always try to be reasonable and fair-minded on this podcast and look at all the issues, um, and we're not afraid to point at ourselves as far as uh, myself personally or Jacob or any other host or the gun community or industry at large when when we're in the wrong or when we're, we're or when we get something you know not quite right. Um, and I will say, and I said it on the podcast Tuesday, that I, I was a little bit ashamed of the industry uh, turning tail and running uh, at the sight of bump stocks by self, um, basically self-regulating and removing them from our stores all across the country and, and online as well. I don't get it. I, I <laughs> It's a knee-jerk reaction. 
and uh, it's that is just as despicable, in my opinion, as if as if the NRA actually did come out and say we're you know we're all for banning bump stocks, which is not what they said. Um, let's let's not be let's not get emotional ourselves. Let's remain clear, cool, calm, collected, smart, thinking, reasoning people, gun owners, and let's look at the issues and, and let's not throw each other under the bus because, you know, the NRA has to, they have to play a certain game. And I think they played it very expertly in this regard. Uh, doesn't mean I'm always happy with what they do or what they say, but I, I think it was a smartly, I think it was a smart play. And that's that's the nature of politics, and it it we get kind of a sick stomach when we see it. Um, shall not be infringed. Well, we are very uh, consistent and on record as being you know on this podcast of being very much for the Second Amendment. Um, but this is one area we cannot let down our guard. Well, let's now actually get into our uh, intended topic for today, Matthew. Holsters, problems, and solutions. I'm I'm gonna put you on the spot again, and I'm just gonna ask from a like general overview. Uh, you being, like I said, kind of one of the key people here at ConcealedCarry.com uh, as far as like holster reviews go. I mean, you've written I don't know how many articles that were uh, reviews of holsters in the last year or two or or so, uh, but but lots, and so. What are just like as an overview, and we'll go into some of these things obviously in a little, to a great uh, uh, more detail. But uh, what are some of the kind of main things you see commonly with holsters that that you would call problems? Um, I think one of the biggest ones, and, and like I said, some holsters. I mean, they have they have everything going for them except you know there's one little thing that kind of is a bad you know kind of of a, of a drawback and and no no product is perfect um but there are some things that you know are personal preferences that might be an issue to some people and not to others but there are some issues that i see that are just design flaws um and, and some of those would be you know especially the area around the trigger guard um i've seen some holster companies in an attempt i guess maybe to cut back on the material or make it lighter or thinner or whatever um really scallop out the area around the trigger guard for some reason exposing part of the trigger um that's kind of a you know a big red flag for me um I, the 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 clips that they use sometimes are are issues for me. Um, that's another kind of way that I'll look at a holster and, and tell, hey, is this going to be a good holster for everyday use? Or is this something that, you know, is just kind of, um, you know, a, 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 not a beginner holster, but something that is not going to be used on a daily basis, you know, um, and stuff like that. Th those are the those are the key things that kind of jump out at me before I even um, kind of put the holster on and wear it. I, just by feeling it, you can kind of tell um, just by those kind of couple things. Yeah. What What are some of the good things that you do see uh, that you, you that you would just kind of throw out? Uh, like I said, as kind of an overview, what are some like really positive things that you see or that you think should be part of a, a holster? 
Um, well, obviously the flip side of that, you know, make sure the, the trigger guard's covered and everything. Um, but you know, you can kind of tell with so many companies making Kydex holsters and so many companies making holsters, it's sometimes, you know, you're looking at them and you're like, well, what's the big difference between the two? And sometimes, you know, it boils down to the attention to detail and the finishing on the materials. Whereas some of the Kydex you'll see, um, obviously there's different thicknesses of kydex and and you know um and to a certain point you want to get a thick kydex it doesn't need to be you know super thick but obviously there's some companies that use a little thicker kydex so you have a little bit more maybe durability or rigidity in, in the holster and it feels more solid um, but the way they finish the edges you know they they, they might cut the, the the holster with a bandsaw or something but some companies don't spend a lot of time smoothing that out or, or, um, you know, polishing the, the edges. So, and that can, that can be a big problem if you're wearing this and it's rubbing against you and you just have like a, a little piece, that's kind of, you know, sharp or something. It, it, it can make a big difference. So the attention to detail on that and some of the, the fasteners that are used, um, the grommets and, and things like that, you can tell if they're, um, you know, if they come with, you know, blue Loctite on them already or something like that, where, you know, the, this company's paying a little extra attention. They don't want the, the screws backing out. They're using non-rust, um, you know, uh, rivets and things like that, that it, it goes a little bit above and beyond just taking a piece of Kydex and slapping it together. Awesome. I think those are really good uh, observations. And so a lot of things that we're going to touch on today, uh, so let's get into some of the more specific details. One of the kind of the thing I think that uh, inspired this conversation today for me personally is recently I've been reviewing two different holsters. And uh, th these are not the only ones that like I'm not singling these ones out. And by the way, folks, we're going to be kind of I'm going to be pretty cautious about not throwing any one company under the bus today. Uh, I might break that rule a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll just kind of take it as it goes because there's a couple of things that frankly may just piss me off so bad that I just can't help myself. But but um, you know, but I don't, this, this is not meant to be a rant on a whole bunch of companies that honestly, most of these companies are good companies filled with good people, uh, good hard workers uh, that are, uh, you know, American companies and they're just, they're just trying to do the right thing. And my hope is that this episode, I, I intend to send an email to many of these industry partners. Uh, I know many of these guys and say, hey, you know, listen to this. This is our, these are our thoughts and our feedback on what makes good holster design and what makes crappy holster design. And it's not, like I said, meant to be a rant and rave against uh, one particular company or specific companies. But uh, recently, I've been reviewing a couple holsters, <clears throat> and a couple of them suffered from the same problems. Now, in one of these cases, the company tells me they've already addressed the issue, and I think that is remarkable. Uh, I sent an email. I said, "Look, this is this is a problem, guys," and they they got back uh, very quickly and said that they were reviewing it. And then a the, uh, follow up email said, "We we've addressed the issue. Uh, I will see if that <clears throat> is actually the case." 
And that really impressed me. Uh, so just because a, a product has a, an issue, uh, doesn't mean, like I say, we throw a company under the bus uh, and make life, you know, rough and miserable for them. Uh, if they, you know, we give them a chance to fix it, and they fix it, like in the case of this company so far, from uh, our at least our communication, I, I'm really impressed with what they're attempting to do to fix it. So, cut of the holster is what I have written down here, and that's the problem that came up for me recently. So I was looking at these two different holsters, <clears throat> and they both share two, the same problem. And that is the actual cut of the material in what I see as being two critical locations. And, you know, Matthew, you touched on one of those locations, and you even said that sometimes you see manufacturers that, uh, you know, seem to remove uh, uh, Whole, uh, material unnecessarily from like the trigger guard area and maybe the trigger is slightly exposed um, that that can be a concern at times that's for sure and that's definitely not what we want but as far as cut of the material this is something that I have seen a number of times through the years and that is where the material of the holster in the trigger or trigger guard area. So like basically at that juncture, if you're looking at your handgun, you know, where the trigger guard meets the grip, my, my middle finger needs to go there. If there's material there, <laughs> then my middle finger can't go there. And what does that mean? It means I cannot get a good grip on the gun in the holster while it's in the holster. And that is really important to understand. Uh, I was just interviewed, by the way. This is really cool. Go go check out American War the American Warrior Show, Mike Seeklander's podcast. Uh, you know we had him on the podcast here a couple of uh, I think it was like episode one forty six. Really awesome interview. If you missed it with Mike Seeklander, go listen to it. And so he interviewed me the other day for his show, and it was my honor and privilege to be there. It was it was a lot of fun. He's a great guy. And I think I said some, something in that interview along the lines of, I spent a lot of time practicing and working on, uh, oh, gee, wow. I usually do a pretty good job about silencing my phone. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that's Mike that's first calling right now. About. No kidding, right? It's not, unfortunately. Or it's one of these holster companies saying, hey, we, <laughs> we've tapped into your, your internet line and we hear all the crap you're going to be throwing our way. Anyway, <clears throat> so... Uh, I, I said something along the lines that I spend the bulk of my training time, uh, in the beginning, especially like if I have a training session or a practice session, I spend the bulk of my beginning time. I, I call it my warm up, working on drawing from the holster because the way I see it is if I need to draw and use my gun in self-defense, if I do not get a solid grip right from the get go, then I don't get the whole, the gun out of the holster effectively, and it's not in the hand like it needs to be, which means when it gets on target, it may not be pointed where it needs to be because so much of our presentation to a target or to a threat is about repeatability and consistency, and that all comes down to the grip. And if you're not gripping the same way every time, then you might be just slightly differently aligned as far as the, your sights and, and your gun on the target. And then not only that, if I don't have a good solid grip, meaning high up on the grip, uh, you know, my, the web of my hand buried into that beaver tail, uh, all those sorts of things. If I do not have a solid grip, which begins at the holster, then it does not really matter because I will not be as effective. I will not be as fast. I will not be as accurate when it comes to use the gun. So the most important thing I see from a self-defense standpoint is where the gun starts and where my hand starts on that gun. 
And so this is where I got really passionate and, and I came to you, Matthew, saying, I want to talk about this subject because it's a problem that I see. And so material covering, you know, basically bridging from the trigger guard area across the, the grip in any way where it obstructs my ability to get my middle finger right up tucked underneath that trigger guard on the grip, then that's a problem because that means I do not have the grip established the way I should. And that means I am not going to be as effective a shooter. Second to that, but very similar and actually almost as much, if not more aggravating, is when we have a sweat guard on a holster and the cut of that sweat guard also obstructs my ability to achieve the same sort of thing on the back of the grip under, you know, in the beaver tail or just underneath it, that area. So both of these holsters I was looking at have a sweat guard and I'm not necessarily opposed to sweat guards, but I'm not a particularly huge fan of them in a lot of cases because most of the time they're done wrong and it obstructs you from getting a properly established grip. So just like all the reasons I gave above in the, in the discussion, that's a problem. And we've, we've got to look at that, I think, from a design standpoint and address it. It, it leads me to think that many holster makers and designers and also the users of those holsters don't actually either try their guns in the holsters to make sure that these are not problems. Or, and perhaps more likely, they don't actually train like religiously and run those holsters and those guns through their paces. Or they've been learning to draw the gun wrong all their life. Yeah, I, I, you know what, and what, I was sitting here thinking about this, and it's, um, in the cut of the holster, like you're, like, like you're saying, really goes overlooked, and I think that goes into the, um, what I was trying to say as far as the attention to detail that a good holster maker or a, a good person who makes a product, they use their own product, right, and so they know um, how to make that product really well. And if, you know, anybody can fold some hot Kydex around a gun and cut it out and put some rivets in it and call it a holster, but to know, you know, where to take away the material so that shooter can get a good grip, um, it, it, it makes all the difference in, you know, two holsters that otherwise would look identical on face value. And then, you know, and it might not be the fact that people are choosing a, a bad holster on purpose, they might just not know the difference or how much of a difference it does make when they do have a holster that's cut right. And they don't have to kind of uh, tinker with their grip after they, you know, after they start their draw because their hand isn't optimally positioned on that gun. They don't realize that, hey, that's not how all holsters are. You can get a holster that you can grip that perfect shooter's grip, even while it's in your holster. So, um, I think that, you know, probably a lot of listeners are going to go grab their holster right now and kind of feel like how they're grabbing it, um, or how their grip sits while it's in the holster. But I think it'd be an eye opening, um, you know, revelation to, to know, to see the difference, um, between just two holsters that otherwise look the same, but maybe, you know, there's a 16th of an inch difference in where the material is cut out that allows that good grip. Like you were saying. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like I said, if I think for most people, it's probably a lack of understanding of 
how important establishing a really solid, correct grip from the get-go is and not understanding that that sort of, you know, that that a holster should be designed to enable that to occur. I'm going to go, I'm going to come right out at it, by the way. I'm going to hit this head on and I'm probably going to piss some people off in the process, but I hate full sweat guards. Absolutely hate full sweat guards. Uh, be, you know, I'm talking about the sweat guards that cut that on the backside of, of the holster, the backside of the gun, the part that goes up against your body. It not only covers the slide and, and by the way, sweat guards originated because we were concerned about, uh, bodily fluid sweat, uh, coming in contact with the, with the metal parts of your gun and potentially causing it to rust or otherwise deteriorate. And, uh, I, I get that, you know what, but I also have a lot of other holsters that don't have sweat guards at all. And I have yet to have any of my guns rust because the guns I am putting in them are quality guns with quality finishes that don't rust, uh, no matter how sweaty they get. Um, but anyway, I do not like these full sweat guards that cover the grip and the slide because you, I don't care who you are. You cannot tell me that you, that you can achieve as good a grip on that gun with that full sweat guard as you can if that sweat guard is removed. I, I just don't think you can do it because there's almost always some sort of uh, compromise that you have to make in the accomplishing of your grip. To, to, to draw that gun out of the holster. And I know we, we get comments all the time with the holsters we sell on our site, uh, including those that don't have sweat guards. And folks will ask, well, is there a sweat guard model? Or is there some way I can modify? Or, or, or you know, there's even products you can add where you can add a sweat guard to an existing holster. Uh, that, and that's all fine and dandy. And I get that we want to be comfortable. But... If it compromises your ability to get that gun out quickly and not affect your accuracy because your grip and your speed, because your grip is not the correct grip, then I see that as a problem. And I see, I take that as a, we're not actually serious about using our guns. Yeah. You know, I, I sweat, you know, probably no less than the average man (laughs) and, uh, Oh, I'm I'm gross, by the way. I am gross. <laughs> and so, but you know what I what I tend to do is I I don't really care for you know the big sweat guards. Now I do have uh, my um my holster that I carry all the time. It does have a small sweat guard that just barely covers a slide area. Um, and I don't even know. I wouldn't even really call it a sweat guard. It kind of just has some material. It, it is called a sweat guard, but it's not your typical sweat guard that covers the whole back. But um, I always, with any of my holsters, I normally wear uh, a t-shirt underneath my, my shirt anyways, because I find it with any holster that I've worn, it's always a little bit more comfortable um, to have a t-shirt on underneath. So, I mean, obviously you're putting a t-shirt on underneath and if it's, you're sweating, it might cause you to sweat a little bit more or whatnot. But for me, I found that you know, that helps me more than having a sweat guard because of the, 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 you know, the reasons you said, and also the big sweat guards, especially when you have like the, um, holsters that are, um, you know, neoprene backed sweat guards and they're big, um, that, I mean, that causes you to sweat more than if you didn't have the sweat guard to begin with. And it was just the holster. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I'm of the same. And and I, if you like sweat guards, I mean, you know, it's it's nothing, you know, that you have to take it off your gun or you can't you, you use a holster with the sweat guard. But I agree with you. It can't. It does um, hinder your 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 draw if you have an oversized sweat guard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was just thinking too that one of my very first quality holsters that I ever bought was uh, a Kydex leather hybrid. Um, and it was from Crossbreed. Back when Crossbreed was just in its infancy as a company, uh, it was probably, like I say, one of the first actual quality holsters I ever bought. I still have this holster. Um, it's sitting right here in my hands. Uh, I don't even have the gun that it was originally uh, designed for because I got rid of the gun, but I still have the holster. It actually fits another, another similar gun. And I've done a, a little bit of home, you know, improve. I, I just kind of, uh, I, I, I've jerry rigged this thing, you know, to, to work with this other gun, I, a little bit of a heat gun and, and, uh, it works. But anyway, <clears throat> when I first older, ordered this holster, uh, I, I think on their website, they call it a combat cut. And, uh, at the time I didn't really understand what that meant. And so I just ordered the holster and it showed up and, and it had kind of a full, um, sweat guard on, on it, you know, and I, I recognized that it affected my draw and I was like, that's lame. Like, I don't like this whole big chunk of leather up here by the grip. And so I gave it my own combat cut to where it just covers, you know, the, the metal part of the slide. And, uh, it is so much better. Uh, and by the way, this, this is a great holster. Crossbreed's been making a good product for a long time. Uh, sometimes the this particular one, I've I've had to do quite a bit of leather conditioning and things on in the in the clips area, especially uh, because it got a little bit squeaky. Like you'd hear it squeak, and I've heard that from other holsters too. Leather uh, leather uh, hybrid holsters is a pretty common problem where. Uh, especially this is a horse hide one, which is a little more durable and lasts a long time, but it's a little bit susceptible to squeaking where the clips are and things. But anyway, uh, that, that ability to draw the gun, in my opinion, is the most, other than protecting the trigger is the most important part of the holster. It's meant to carry a gun so that you can draw and use it when you need to. And if that's the case, then you should be able to draw and use it effectively and efficiently. And so then the secondary purpose is that it protects the trigger and does not allow you to shoot yourself while you're carrying it. That's the two whole points of a holster. So if it is designed in a way it affects the draw, then that's a problem. All right, so I, I beat that bush and, and that horse dead. Um, just really take it from, from me and, and believe me when I say that this is a common issue and, and I, I think you need to look closely at your holsters and analyze whether they allow you to actually truly draw your gun effectively and efficiently or not. And by the way, <clears throat> I've I make modifications to holsters all the time. Uh, I was going to say I wanted to give props to a couple of companies. I have a uh, Black Point Tactical uh, Appendix Carry Holster that has <clears throat> exactly what you want in a sweat guard. It it is just enough to protect the gun where you want it protected but it does not in any way protrude past the gun, uh, past the slide, past the grip. It doesn't do any any of that. It does not affect the draw or the grip. And uh, so it does what it's supposed to do, and it 
it works great. So kudos to them. And the trigger, same, you know, same thing with the cut around the trigger guard. Uh, the trigger is completely covered and protected, but in no way comes anywhere close to affecting your, your middle finger on the grip. Uh, here's another one. On your six designs, this is a holster I've used uh, for my 43 appendix carry. Uh, this is just, I think, their basic design. And I will say that overall is pretty good, but I did find, and I made a slight modification, that the sweat guard was just a little bit too wide at the top that it was more of a comfort issue. I could still achieve my grip, but it kind of would chafe my the inside of my thumb. And so I just removed with a Dremel a little bit of the kydex right there at, at the top edge corner of the sweat guard. And you know, made it work. And so now it works. It works great. And, uh, I enjoy it as a holster. So anyway, and you're going to hear a lot of background noise in today's episode, by the way, because I have this massive mound of holsters and I'm going to be kind of shuffling through them, but all right, let's get on to the next thing, Matthew. What, what's the next thing on your um, radar? Let's see. We had, uh, we were talking about the clips or how it attaches. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about clips. Yeah. So we're not talking about magazine clips, right? <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> Clip um, no, the, the way it attaches to the belt. Right. So, um, there's a couple different types of clips in, I have found, you know, there's the plastic clips. Okay. We know that most holsters, um, Kydex holsters come with plastic clips. It seems that way. Most leather holsters I've seen come with those steel spring type clips. Um, but the way the clip attaches to the belt is kind of important. Some of them go, you know, over top like a hook and some, um, you know, just clip on. So you know, I prefer, obviously it, it, it depends on where you're going to carry this. Um, but I prefer metal clips if possible and ones that wrap all the way around and kind of uh, have a hook on the other side that secure it to the belt really, really well. So the holster can't be pulled off. Um, you know, the steel spring clips, sometimes they can lose their tension over time and things like that. But, um, but you know, I, I find that this, the steel clips are good, um, if they have that, that hook on it. Um, and same with the, the plastic ones, if they, if they have that hook, um, I've seen a lot of companies start going to the soft belt loops. And I think that that's probably going to be a bigger trend or a bigger, um, you're going to see that on more holsters just because it does fasten to the belt so well. And when you were talking about, you know, the, the reasons or the purposes of a holster, well, one of the big purposes also is to fasten that holster or keep that gun to your body. And if you have a holster that comes off of your body easily, it's not, it's, it's not good, especially, um, if it can come out during a fight or something like that. So, um, you got to look at your clip design and the material that they use. Yeah. Uh, I completely echo this, uh, in a moment we're going to talk about retention as far as retention relates to the, uh, the gun retained in the holster, but guess what? Retention of the holster onto the gun means nothing if the holster itself also will not be retained in your waistband. And this is a, I mean, this is a huge problem. I see this so often. I see uh, holster manufacturers that send holsters out with clips that I know for a fact are not going to 
to work effectively. And, and frequently I demonstrate it where I'm carrying a gun uh, in a holster and I'll look down at some point during the day and realize that clip just in the, in, in the course of me moving about the day has managed to unclip itself. It's still there, but it's the bottom part, you know, the clip has, has worked its way off the belt and, and it's, it's ridden its way up slightly. And that tells me, boy, if, if just from moving, standing, sitting, getting in and out of my truck or whatever, uh, this clip comes unhooked. Can you imagine if you were in a scuffle with somebody, that thing is not staying in your waistband. And so this is a very real problem, uh, is holster, holster manufacturers out there that do not understand the importance of a good clip. And I have all kinds of things to say about clips too, but, um, the, the loops you're talking about those, those, uh, those loops that like, okay, you got an inside waistband holster and the loop is attached to the top and then the fabric or the material loops downward and then back up and around the belt. And then it, it, uh, there's a real, you know, usually they're made with pretty good ones are made with a really good snap that snaps at the top. Uh, and even better ones have two of these loops so that there's, there's two of these loops that are securely attached. Um, and those, those work really well because they don't come on, they don't like, they don't unclip themselves. They're, they're looped around the belt. Uh, so yeah, they work really well. As long as that button snap is solid and secure, those work really well. Metal clips. I love metal clips. They're, they're definitely solid. But sometimes, depending on the actual design of the metal clip, uh, they, you know, they are not all equal. Sometimes they will unsnap or unclip themselves. I've had that happen. Uh, you know who makes a really good clip on their holster? And they, frankly, these are really cool, nifty de- uh, devices. And that is a Q-series holsters, uh, the Stealth models um, that are just the really minimalist, you know, IWB holster. Uh, the clips on these are made from high quality spring steel. And like you were saying, Matthew, the clip itself has a hook at the bottom and it's a really prominent hook. Uh, if, in fact, it's compatible with an inch and three quarter, uh, belt. Uh, but it, it, and I actually might even go up to a two inch belt, but I cannot just hook this onto my belt because the return on that hook at the bottom is, uh, so prominent. It returns quite a ways. But the point is, is once you get this sucker on, like it's staying on, it is not coming off the belt. So really, really good clip design. Some other things with clips. This is more of a personal pet peeve, but I think it could have some potential application too for, for a a wider range of people. Um, but, uh, I frankly am really irritated with clips that come with holsters that will only fit and like by only like barely fit an inch and a half wide belt. Um, and I know inch and a half is probably the most common belt width. And most people, that's probably what they use or they're using something even a little bit narrower. Uh, but I would really appreciate uh, seeing more clips that are uh, like an inch and a quarter or an inch and three quarters. Uh, because that tells me that a person is actually using a probably a better, more solid, more gun friendly belt. Um, I always wear an inch and three quarter belt. And the reason why is because it is a better belt. It's a stronger belt. It is a stiffer belt than just about any other inch and a half wide belt out there. And so 
uh, I'm frequently having to order or specify. And in some cases, I don't even see holster manufacturers that even offer a different clip width. And I get th- those guys don't get my business because it's like, come on, you got to know that a lot of really good quality gun belts out there are inch and three quarter, and sometimes two inches. But but inch and three quarter, I think, is a really it's kind of a sweet spot for me. Two inches is so wide that sometimes it doesn't even fit through the loops of your pants, uh, you know. And, and, and so you run into some issues there. So inch and a half is a little bit narrow for me. Inch and three quarter is like the sweet spot. It's really wide, solid, stiff belt. It's going to do the job well. I like to see clips that also uh, match up well with that width. Uh, most of the ones I have on my desk here. Um, actually work work well um, in that regard, but there's a, there's a couple of exceptions. Um, oh, also one other thing too, and I'll let you jump back in. But uh, uh, I recently saw a new holster design at the uh, NRA Carry Guard Expo, and I'm not going to mention the name, but I, I thought the holster design itself was pretty clever. Um, I liked some things about it. It was pr- primarily geared towards a traditional IWB. But the clips he was using, and they were kind of, at first I'm like, oh, those are cool clips. Um, they are, they're basically a really heavy-duty wire, um, the double, it's hard to describe, but they're, they're wire clips. But trust me, I mean, like, they were, they were pretty solid. They were strong. I had no pr- problem believing that they were going to stay hooked or connected to my, my, my belt or pant, but, uh. But I once it was on, I could not grab those things for the life of me. They were so, like, you, there was just nothing to grab onto. So you couldn't, like, unclip it yourself when you wanted to, to take it off or anything like that. Uh, so I thought that was interesting and worth worth noting, you know. Like, um, you know, I realize they're probably not alone in that. Like, some clips uh, are easier to clip or unclip than others. And that that's going to be a little bit of give and take anyway. Because if, like, a clip is too easy to clip on or to remove manually, then chances are maybe it's too easy to actually remove in a scuffle. Um, but uh, anyway, um, what other thoughts do you have yeah, about clips? It, it, one last thing about the clips, and I think I think you, you mentioned it, um, but I found a huge difference in the number of clips. So um, I have gone I, – I when I first started carrying, um, most of the holsters I had were single clip um, mounts. And and I recently, when, when I got, um, a holster, um, from alpha concealment, it had, it had two, two clips and, um, it really changed my feeling about the number of clips. I didn't really at first think that it would make that big of a difference, but definitely having two clips, it takes away any sort of, um, you know, rotational motion on your holster and it really, it really makes it more solid. Um, so I, you know, if you, if you have the ability, if, if all things are considered and you're looking at two holsters and one has one clip and one has two, um, I, I would go with the two clip design. Cause I think it's going to provide you a little bit more rigidity and firmness in your, in your holster, um, and keep it exactly where you want it on your belt. I completely agree with that. In fact, if you're carrying traditional IWB, uh, so like your four, four thirty, you know, a clock position on your waist, if you're using an IWB holster that's a single clip, that's that does not work very well in my opinion. I've never had one that stayed 
where I wanted it to. Uh, that was a single clip design. Uh, and, and by stay, I mean, a lot of times it's can't like sometimes like that holster tends to, with just a single clip tends to rock its way back. It usually rocks backward and then it's not positioned exactly where I want, nor is it positioned for an optimal draw. And sometimes it affects its concealability too, because as it rotates rearward and the grip starts, uh, presenting itself more, uh, outward from the body. And uh, so for traditional IWB, I would not go with anything that has less than two clips. Now, I'm curious, were you also talking about uh, appendix holsters? Yeah. Uh, this holster you got from Alpha Concealment, was that a two-clip design? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, their Phoenix. So, um, and I, I, I absolutely love the holster. Um, you know, and, and like you said, I, I've, I've probably reviewed, you know, 30 holsters plus holsters over the last couple of years. And this holster, I mean, it just, from fasten the way it fastens to my belt to, uh, to the way it, it holds the gun and allows me to grip it. I just, I really like the holster. Um, so, you know, and it was, like I said, it was the first two clip design that I went to and, uh, and it made a world of difference. And, and for me, you know, I still, when I, when I demo holsters or, or go to review holsters, I still wear them, even if, you know, they're only a one clip design, because I, I still want to review it and give it a good review, um, or, a, a you know, a, a honest review and, and wear it. So, um, even with the one clip designs, you know, um, I, I just see a huge difference in, in, in the security that I feel or, or the, uh, the way that gun feels on my belt, uh, with two, with two clips versus one. I'm looking at the uh, Alpha Concealment Phoenix right now. Boy, I I like it. I like the way this thing looks. Uh, you know, a a, pro a proper use of a sweat guard, in my opinion, as we just just got just just got done discussing uh, the two clip design. That that's great. Um, it's got the claw. The claw, you know, on a uh, appendix holster is I think really valuable because it helps torque that gun, the grip of the gun, back into your gut, uh, making it more concealable. Uh, that's a great looking holster. I'm, did did you complete that review already? Yeah, yeah, I did it a, a while back, and you know, they they do a really good job, and in, in, um, they make a couple different you know versions and stuff. But once I once I tried that holster, I, I it kind of spoiled me, honestly, to a point where like when I try single clip holsters, um, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of kind of a letdown, really, to tell you the truth. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, and I'll have to go back and reread that. I'm pretty sure I saw that review. I just I don't know if I. So, there's so many things sometimes that I have to review on our site that I I skim through them fairly quickly. Uh, but looking at this one a little bit closer, it looks really nice. Uh, speaking of a single clip appendix carry holster that uh, I really like uh, is the uh, this is made by. Um, well, it's a Haley Strategic Partnership. It's a collaboration with them. Uh, G-Code. G-Code is the actual holster manufacturer. And this one was made for my Glock 43. And uh, it doesn't really have a sweat guard. Um, it, it does have a slight rise on the back side, but it doesn't go all the way up the slide. Uh, but it is a single clip design. But what I also like they did about it um, as far as like it just staying in place is the outside of the holster has a felt like material oh, okay. uh, applied to the outside of the holster all the way around so that when it's in the waistband, uh, pretty much 
when you put it in there and clip it on, uh, it, it stays put. Like the angle, the direction that it's uh, that it's turned or facing or anything like that, like it does not move because that kind of felty suede sort of you know material uh, really sort of holds it in its position. The clip is strong enough. I have no qualms about it staying on the belt uh, or retaining properly. And the holster itself has really you know has just the perfect sweet spot of retention. Uh, clicks in nice, but it, it comes out when you need to, but it also retains uh, pretty solidly. Um, but it stays where I put it in the waistband and, and I like it, but yeah, these two clip designs are always superior, I think in that regard. So thanks. Uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, okay. So let's, let's shift from clips. Um, let's talk a little bit just about bulk in general. I mean, have you seen bulky holsters? Yeah, I I mean it and it kind of goes to um the the lo, trying to carry I think trying to carry a holster that's designed for a specific method of carry and carry it in a different way. Um mainly like carrying the hybrid type holsters that have two clips that are essentially I think the best place that would be to carry those would be like small, the back type carry, or maybe even, you know, um, strong side hip and trying to carry them more towards an appendix style or something like that, where the, the, there's just too much material and it's just not, it, it's not ideal for that position. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's what I see. Frankly, anytime I see a holster with unnecessary bulk, I just, I'm kind of turned off to it. Um, I, and there's some manufacturers out there that make traditional IWB designs, uh, that, uh, use a lot of, you know, particularly where they are synthetic, uh, holster backers, you know, so they're not leather. Uh, so a neoprene or something along those lines, uh, sometimes some of those to me seem very bulky, a lot, you know, thicker than if someone just went with leather. And I understand the desire perhaps, and, and let me just throw out some props to like Stealth Gear. I have a Stealth Gear holster here. Uh, and frankly, Stealth Gear makes some really good stuff. Uh, and th theirs is a synthetic holster backing, uh, but it's completely, you know, it's, it's totally breathable. Uh, it's padded and uh, it's, it's a mesh essentially. Um, but a strong and solid mesh that does the job it needs to do as far as a holster is concerned. Um, but it breathes really well, so that's cool. Um, and it is a little bit thicker than if it was just leather. But they've removed some thickness in places where it needed to be removed. I mean, there's a lot of actually well-thought-out design choices in how they make and produce this backing. Uh, I think they call it their vent core uh, backing. And I mean, it works well and it's a little bit thicker, like I say, but it, it's not thick unnecessarily where it needs to be. But then there's some manufacturers and I'm not going to name names, but one of them is that they sell a lot of holsters and this thing is freaking thick and I can feel it when it's in my waistband. And I don't like that. Um, cause anytime I'm, I mean, I already have to stuff this one, one and a quarter inch thick gun in my waistband, any more unnecessary thickness just makes it thicker. Uh, and, and definitely there, we see some holster designs, like you were saying, Matthew, where they try to do too much as a holster and it, it just ends up being really bulky where it doesn't need to be and causing problems that way. Here's one rounded corners. I added this because especially once I started carrying appendix. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Matthew, as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, generally, most of my guns I carry are kind of, you know, 
not all of them are ideal, but they're they're at least somewhat round. Uh, I mean, the the take a Glock for instance. I mean, yes, I understand the Glock frame or slide is quite blocky, but it actually has about a one eighth inch radius on the corners. I know the Gen fives are a little bit more rounded. Um, the uh, bottom of the underneath, you know, the uh, what do they call it? The uh, dust cover or dust shield, you know, the frame that sits underneath the, the muzzle of the gun covers the re- recoil spring. It, um, it's rounded pretty nicely. It's not too blocky. Uh, I can stick this Glock and I'll use like a Q series, uh, stealth holster, which is very minimalistic. And I can stick this in my waistband and it feels fine. You know, I'm not feeling like any really sharp edges or points that are cutting into my groin area or my leg or anything like that. And so, Hey, that's cool. Well, every once in a while, I get a holster that, you know, it's designed for this gun and it fits the length of the gun, but the bottom of the holster is just straight walled. So it's formed to the gun, but when it's where it stops, it's just, it's just straight. It goes a little bit past the, the end of the gun. And basically I have a pretty sharp edged piece of Kydex. And for me personally, it it causes discomfort. Um, I've mentioned to you, I've, I've made many times modifications to holsters and I've done it several times with appendix carry, especially, uh, because that thing is being placed where things have to bend, (laughs) you know, IWB doesn't, it doesn't matter as much because it's, you're not folding skin and stuff around the gun and the holster, but in appendix, you're having to do that to some extent. And so I've taken out the heat gun and I have, I have rounded, you know, I've kind of folded the end of the holster around a little bit. Uh, I've even trimmed, you know, the edges. Take, for example, this G-Code Haley Strategic holster I was talking about. Um, the uh, Where the front sight would be is it's been kind of cut back at an angle. Uh, where the holster is at the end of the gun, it's folded around the gun. So it forms a nice uh, gradual uh, radius. And so it, that's one of the reasons I love this holster because it doesn't dig in. It doesn't bite me anywhere. And uh, so it's a minor tweak and it doesn't take a lot, but it, I'll tell you, it makes a big difference in the comfort department. Yeah. And, and I, and that's just, it keeps going back to those holster companies that take the extra time to like really field test their holsters and, and use them and, and get and say, you know what? Um, let's, let's take a little extra time to make sure that this area right here isn't, we don't leave too much material here or we, we refine it here. We, you know, we grind it correctly here because, you know, any, if you have a, you know, the, the press and the jig and you can, you can cut it out, but it's making that refinery, those refinery, uh, uh, refining the holster, so it really feels good. And, and a lot of times, you know, somebody puts on, uh, puts a holster on and they don't like it. And they're like, oh, I can't carry, I can't carry appendix or I can't carry this gun. And it's not necessarily appendix carry or the gun. It's really a, an extra 16th of an inch on the holster that's chafing the inside of your leg. And if that wasn't there, you'd be fine. Um, so yeah. And, and, and luckily you're, you know, um, you know, mechanically inclined enough to, to, to make those, you know, adjustments on your own and, and somebody can probably do them. Most people could probably do them on their own. Um, but you know, for the people that don't have a, you know, a Dremel tool or don't have a belt sander or something, they're kind of, they're kind of stuck. So, um, yeah. So, so looking at those, those types of things. And unfortunately you don't know that until 
you buy the holster a lot of times. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> it's so true. Um, speaking of little details, screws, nuts, other hardware, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, and it's a minor thing. I mean, it, it might seem like a minor thing, but, you know, all, all screws, if you have a Kydex holster or any holster with screws and things like that, you're you're probably going to have to periodically tighten them. I mean, it, you or you should be. Um, and, and some of them are designed are specifically not supposed to be tight because they're the ones that uh, affect the retention. You know, you tighten it down, you get more retention, you loosen it up and you have less retention. But other ones that attach the clip mechanism or what whatnot to the holster um you might want to take some blue loctite and put those on there so they don't back out but when you go to take out your screws or or you'll see a difference in some of the materials that these holster companies use and i've seen even holster companies that use too long of a screw that would actually have if you you know if you it's okay when it comes from the factory that way, but if you wanted a little bit more retention or if you want to tighten down, all of a sudden that screw protrudes into the holster area. And when you holster your gun, it's gouging, that screw is gouging your your firearm. So, I mean, and, and those types of things can't, you, you know, you can't overlook that as a, as a, as a, somebody who's buying the holster or is the, the, the company that's selling them. So, you know, those types of types of things are important to look for. And and I think it, it gives kind of an indication on how refined is this, this company's process in making holsters. Absolutely. Like you said, and I think this will be a common uh, theme throughout today's episode uh, is that it sometimes feels like holster manufacturers don't, actually like like truly use their holsters and they're not like truly um carrying even maybe on i i sometimes wonder like does this the the guy that formed this holster and designed it does he carry his own gun in this every single day and does he go through a defensive handgun course where he's expected to use it under stress uh you know in, in demanding environments and find you know so that he would discover that there's these comfort issues here and there and oh there's there's these issues that make it so i can't use or draw my gun as effectively uh i sometimes wonder that and i i know i i, I probably should give you guys a little bit more credit but here's another thing too to consider not all holsters are created equal because you know a I suspect that there are gun or holster designers out there and manufacturers that do wear and do test and wear it every day and they're very familiar with it. But guess what? Maybe it's designed and fits the Glock 19 really well. And they mastered that mold and everything and like it it, it it's just there's no rough edges and it's it's built really well. Um, but then you start to try to add all these other models. Well, I I guarantee you that some of these manufacturers don't carry every day with all the possible different combinations of, of guns and holes, uh, guns and models and calibers and sizes and lengths and like, because that would be impossible. And so, um, it, it is a lot more challenging. I mean, like, yeah, because <laughs> I've seen this, by the way, because I've seen holsters where the the sweat guard cut, you know, the around the trigger guard area, like was done. It it, it works well. It's done correctly. But then you take, say, maybe, maybe it worked really well for a Glock forty three. But then you take a, a Smith and Wesson shield, 
and it doesn't show quite the same refinement in the cut and the design and the shaping and and, and, and the molding and all that. Uh, b- probably because they're not actually using a shield, personally. Ah, that's just something I wonder about. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it is challenging to take a template and then try to apply that to, you know, 250 different models and have them all work like you intend them to work. So... Uh, it's a it's a challenging. That's one of the reasons why I probably have no desire to be a holster manufacturer myself because it, it is a big uh, manufacturing challenge and design challenge. And those of you out there that are holster manufacturers, you I'm sure you get what I mean. Let's actually talk just real quick about retention. Uh, how much retention is enough? I think is is fair to ask. And then you made a note here, uh, Matthew. Universal versus custom. And so I I want to get your take on this. Yeah, I I just kind of jotted that down because um, obviously there's the benefit of having a universal holster, a holster that can fit every type of gun. Um, And then there's holsters that are obviously like your Kydex and and some high-end leather holsters that are designed specifically for a model. Now, you know... the problem with, you know, when, when you look at the, the difference between the two is something that's designed for your gun is going to provide a little bit more uh, retention as far as the holster itself, uh, you know, as far as just keeping it in the holster. Um, typically, when you get a universal holster that fits a bunch of different types of guns, it's not going to have the same retention typically as something that's made for your gun. So if, you know, if retention, um, is an issue or something that, 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 that's something that you need to look at. Um, yeah, there is some convenience in having a one size fits all holster if you carry different, uh, types of guns, but you know, um, you know, and, and, and that's going to, how much retention you need is going to determine, Hey, can I get away with a universal type holster for this type of scenario or this, um, you know, this specific task I'm doing, maybe it's, you know, you're working out. So you're using a belly band holster. Well, a lot of those don't have, a lot of those are universal type holsters. So maybe in that specific scenario, you're okay with, you know, having a universal type holster, whereas for your 99% of your other time when you're not working out or jogging or doing whatever, you have a custom built holster that has a little bit, provides a little bit more attention. Ah, absolutely. What about, what are your thoughts about the, let's just use an example. I mean, I think this is a fair conversation to have. Uh, we sell, <clears throat> excuse me, we sell a lot of Brave Response holsters, which is a advertises a universal holster uh and it's soft material it's not uh really formed in any way uh i'm just curious what are your thoughts honest thoughts well okay so i use the brave response um i think i mentioned this the last time you know i i I actually use a brave response when um i go i go jogging my daughter just started riding her bike so we go on this bike path and she rides her bike and I kind of jog next to her. Um, and I have my brave response holster. I carry a Glock 27 and it fits, it fits great. Um, I, and I can, I can honestly say that it fits my gun great, but if somebody were to say, Hey, I have, you know, a Walther PPX or something like that, or I have a, you know, SIG P238, is it going to fit my holster or is it, is my gun going to fit? Yeah, it probably will fit, but I don't know. 
I I can't tell you that it's going to fit exactly the same as it will fit my Glock 27, which fits great, you know? So um, I can tell you if you have a, a specifically custom made made holster for your gun, it'll fit. Um, so that's the thing with the, with the, with the, you know, universal holsters is that they do, they probably do fit all the guns, but do they fit all the guns exactly the same? And so your, I guess, user experience may vary, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, your gun might be a little smaller than my Glock 27 or a little bit bigger. So there, therefore it might not fit exactly the same and you might have a little bit of issue drawing it, or maybe you're carrying a, a shield, which is thinner and it, and it's a little bit more loose. So, you, you know, you're like, Oh, this doesn't, my gun flops around inside the holster. So, um, it's hard. I think when you get a universal holster to make everybody happy because every gun's different. Right. You know the interesting thing about the Brave Response holster, and and, and it it doesn't have some shortcomings. Yeah, absolutely has some shortcomings. It is not a perfect holster. It is trying to wear many hats, fit many guns, uh, and inherently that creates some problems and some challenges. Uh, obviously, for retention, it's relying upon uh, a kind of traditional snap that folds over the back of the gun uh, that you you know, you you unsnap it with uh, your thumb. It's like a thumb break. Um, and, uh, so that does allow you to, as far as retention goes, uh, keep it fairly snug in there, generally regardless of the gun. Um, there's definitely gonna be some guns that fit a little bit tighter and more securely than some other smaller ones. Uh, but through some fairly clever use of elastic material and, uh, over the, actual holster pocket itself it that that holster pocket does kind of stretch and and you know gets bigger as it needs to and and will shrink back down to a smaller size when you need it to to as well my you know the thing is to different holsters for different use cases or scenarios uh, i do not wear a brave response holster every day in every scenario uh, i do use it my primary purpose for it is working out going for a run, going for a bike ride. It works incredibly well for me in those circumstances. Uh, I, I'm you know, wearing uh, workout uh, clothing or sh- uh, shorts or something and you know that don't have a belt or even belt loops. And uh, so it, it works incredibly well in those situations because of its integral belt. Um, some people sometimes, you know, that they contact us and they're concerned about the protection of the trigger. I think you found, and I have found that it it's, yes, it's a fabric material, um, but it's pretty thick material. And I've, you know, you have to apply a lot of force to be able to push the trigger through the material. Um, Obviously, you're comfortable wearing and carrying. I am as well, even with a clock that doesn't have uh, manual safety. Um, so, you know, teach their own. It has its it has its purposes and its uses that works for me. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, he he carries, I think, in a BRH and a Brave Response holster every day. And for him it works and he's happy with it. And he, he generally carries he, he generally carries the same gun. I mean, it's either a Glock uh nineteen or uh a Glock forty three. Um and usually it's a Glock nineteen. So anyway, let's uh bury that hatchet as well. Uh, let's talk well, so Talking a little bit more about retention, just to, to wrap this up, how much retention is enough? Uh, I don't I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, you don't want the gun bouncing out on its own. You don't want it falling out. Speaking of which, there was a scary story the other day where a gentleman, I think in Kentucky, uh, he or 
Arkansas. I don't remember. Uh, he's a firefighter, volunteer firefighter, carrying a 357 Magnum revolver in a shoulder holster. And he got out. Uh, he reached inside the vehicle uh, to uh, soothe his his crying child in the back seat, in the car seat. And as he was doing so, the gun came loose and fell out of the shoulder holster. He attempted to catch it. And in the process, and by the way, we're going to talk about this some more in our up next upcoming episode uh but he grabbed the the gun as he tried to catch it and you know grabbed it the wrong way and uh uh it was facing towards him the trigger was pressed the gun fired uh it hit him somewhere in the abdomen uh but he actually he passed away from his wounds um that holster obviously had a problem with retention that's that's a problem uh and there's other lessons and things to, be, to take away from that story, which, like I said, we, we will in our next upcoming episode. But uh, retention, it's got to retain the gun and ideally like retain it pretty firmly, pretty well, because I don't want it coming loose in a physical confrontation. Um, but I have seen holsters that, and I think sometimes they just need to be break in, broken in, uh, that retain so tightly, like it was hard to draw them out of the holster. Um I think the ideal best of both worlds is have an adjustable retention. Uh, some holsters do not, but many of the Kydex and Polymer ones these days have a, a screw somewhere near, typically near the trigger guard that you can tighten it and increase the retention and loosen it and, and, and loosen that retention up. And that's really ideal. I think that's what's something that you want in a holster. Uh, so you can find that sweet spot of, of good retention, but not, t- but not too much. Materials used, uh, leather, kydex, nylon, all kinds of materials are used these days. Uh, what are some of your thoughts there, Matthew? Yeah, I think that the the materials used uh, is important when you're looking at the durability or longevity of your holster. Um, you know, it's not surprising to see holsters, leather holsters last, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years um, if they're cared for well. Um you know, Kydex is, is a, is a durable holster, is a durable material. Um, but nylon, you know, those are going to wear out. So, and typically your nylon holsters are your, you know, universal holsters anyways. But, um, and when you're looking at the, the material also, you know, um, a big question comes to mind if you're carrying it inside the waistband is, does it have rigidity, um, is it going to collapse on its own when you draw the weapon out, um, making, you know, making it more difficult to reholster. And that's a, you know, I know um, we talked about this a while back on what to do after you use the gun about reholstering, right? We, we did a whole <laughs> hour and a half episode, I think, um, talking about reholstering after you use a firearm. But, you know, um, if, if having that rigidity in your holster is important, um, then obviously you're going to want to go with a holster that doesn't collapse uh, when you draw the gun out of it. Yeah, I think that is the ideal. Um, I'm less concerned about it in the uh, civilian world. You know, law enforcement, Mm -hmm. I could see a greater need to potentially rapidly reholster. But, I mean, it it could apply across the board. So, ideally, we would have a holster that does not collapse on its own. Obviously, that is a shortcoming in the Brave Response holster. Uh, It's not terribly difficult to reholster in that. Uh, You can, with a little bit of practice, you can get it down, but it, generally does take two hands. Um, so ideally we would not, you know, 
have a or choose material or a style that uh, collapses. Um, it's not unusual, by the way, to still require two hands to reholster. Um, you know, especially if it's concealment, you generally have to get a garment out of the way anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, although there's techniques to be able to do so even one-handedly, but uh, most of the time, I think we're probably you know using our support hand, pulling a garment out of the way, and then reholstering the gun while we're being mindful and careful of uh, any garment materials or other things uh, coming in in the way of the trigger trigger guard. Um, so. Anyway, I I definitely like Kydex uh, holsters. There was a time where I was more of a hybrid. I liked leather and Kydex. You got kind of the best of both worlds. You got some flexibility, some comfort mixed with the uh, benefits of Kydex, which are really, you know, solidly, firmly retaining and, and being custom fit to a gun. Um, but more of, my, more of my holster choices nowadays are all Kydex uh, or polymer. Uh, especially in the appendix carry world, um, because with an appendix holster, especially generally, you just need a device that is about the same height and width and depth as, as the gun itself. Like you don't need much more than that. Um, whereas in a traditional IWB carry situation, uh, you maybe need a little bit more comfort spread over a larger area. You need clips on both the front and and back areas of the holster to really keep it uh, secured to the belt. Well, um, appendix is, is a different, you know, animal that's for sure. Uh, So, but even, you know, there was a time where, for instance, one of my first experiences with a all Kydex IWB holster, and I have it right here. Um, this was made by DeSantis, and I'm not throwing them under the bus here or anything. Um, and I think this was probably maybe one of their earlier forays into a uh, all-Kydex IWB holster. And uh, this thing is quite large. It's got two very large, solid clips, front and rear. And it, like I said, it's designed for IWB, so like 4 o'clock positional carry. It does have adjustable retention. It's got a little screw for that. Um, but it is a, you know, it's about eight inches wide. It has a curvature uh, formed into the Kydex, ideally so that I guess it would uh, fit, you know, at uh, it basically curved the body uh, pretty well. The problem is, is not everybody is curved the same way. And this holster is so wide that uh, for me, I found that it was not curved ideally and was terribly uncomfortable. Uh, it is, it is an uncomfortable holster and that turned me off to anything that was all Kydex meant for IWB carry for a long, long time. Fast forward a number of years and I recently reviewed the LAG tactical grunt style, uh, uh, defender holster. And, uh, this one is quite comfortable in the IWB position. Um, this one can also be converted to OWB carry. Um, I found it to be a great holster and comfortable regardless of, of how I carried it. And uh, th- the fact is, is the difference between this and this DeSantis holster is its footprint. It's much smaller in the area that it occupies in your waistband and doesn't have to try to to make it fit all different sizes and shapes of, of body styles. So... Anyway, just a couple of I guess specifics in that in that regard. Um, but yeah, I like all all Kydex or all polymer. It just I mean they work well. They're durable. They're solid. They're easy to reholster. They retain well. There's a lot of benefits to all Kydex holsters, uh, but there's still other hybrids and other great products out there as well. 
Um, here's a question, I, and I, I have a, I have this question for you, Matthew. Um, thoughts on covering the mag release? What do you think about that? Like, I see some holster, probably more often than not, uh, holsters don't cover the mag release on the gun, but uh, a few do. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, first of all, I mean, I haven't. I've. I most of my holsters that I've carried do not cover the mag release, and I've never had a situation where my mag was released by, you know, my stomach or something that pushed up against a mag release. Um, so I can understand like a holster company saying, well, we cover the mag release so you can, so there's no ch- possibility. Um, I guess that would be okay. But for me, um, I, I like being able to have my, my mag, my firearm in my, in my holster um, and be able to release the magazine just by reaching down there and release the magazine. Maybe I have to, you know, switch out a magazine while it's holstered, um, you know, um, administratively or something like that. So, I mean, I, I guess if if a whole if somebody likes to have their magazine covered um, or magazine release covered to each their own, um, I don't personally. I like it not to be covered. And that's just my, my opinion. And and it's just, I guess my opinion would change if I had an incident where I went to draw my firearm and, you know, my magazine was already unseated or something because it had hit something, you know, while it was holstered. But, um, I haven't found a a necessity to have my magazine release covered by the holster. Yeah. Now I used to think like you, just so you know, uh, where I was like, it didn't even cross my mind. But, uh, and I do think this is something that's more of an issue with OWB, you know, like three o'clock or IWB, uh, carry in the four, four thirty area position. Um, so I, uh, I, like I said, I didn't think about that for a long time, um, until I was carrying with, I think it was my Glock 43. Yeah, it was the clock. It was definitely the Glock 43. Uh, which is funny to me because and this is a Gen 4, and the mag release, it's not like it really protrudes, and it's not like it's prominent and you know asking for it to be pushed. But with a particular holster, a couple of times, I would find that the mag was really, you know, it was not locked into place. Wow. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so for the first time, I, it has become something that I'm at least aware of. And uh, I definitely don't use that holster in the Glock 43 combo anymore. And I don't know if it was that particular holster. I don't know exactly what the issue was. I, I do think that it's less of an issue probably in appendix position because you've, you're generally a little bit softer <laughs> uh, and flatter uh, in, the, in that area where you're carrying in the, in the front. Um, at IWB position, um, it's possible. I mean, you might, you might get like a hip bone or uh, you just might not be as soft. Uh, that might prompt, uh, for whatever reason, somehow that that mag release gets pushed. I do know that I think Smith and Wesson uh, uh, M&P shields, the mag releases on those seem to be pretty light, and the buttons I think is a little bit more accessible than say like on a 43. And uh, I mean, so it might it, it could be more of an issue with certain guns, um, certain designs. Um, like I said, yeah, I mean, certainly, it, certainly, if you have an ambidextrous. ambidextrous uh, magazine release or something like that. Definitely. Yeah. I can, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But I, you know, I think I don't really have a problem if, if a holster covers my mag release, I, I don't really 
advise administrative reloads where we hit the mag release while the gun's in the holster on the waist, uh, you know, and removing the magazine and then trying to properly fully reseat that magazine in the holster. Uh, I mean, I can do it and I can do it pretty reliably uh, because I slap that mag pretty firmly when it's going back in. Uh, but I've definitely witnessed people where they think they've just done that administrative reload. And it's so prevalent on the range, you know, where you're, you're, you're doing, you're going through a course and uh, you're reholstered and during a break, you're like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, just quick, quickly swap out a mag so that I can, be safe, leave the gun in the holster while we're back off the firing line uh, because I want to top off that mag and, and things like that. Uh, you know, and then they get up to the firing line and the next go around and they get off one shot and then it, the mag falls out, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that plenty of times to, to know that it, it is and can be an issue. And so, try, I mean, don't, don't administratively load, especially, especially uh, in, in the real world. Right. Uh, know that your gun is ready for use at all times. Know that that mag is fully seated. I mean, that's part of the routine of getting ready for each day. You, you get up, you get dressed, you, you get your holster, you get your gun, you put it on. But before you put that gun in the holster, you confirm that it's chambered. You confirm that that magazine's in, that it's loaded. You confirm that it's fully seated. You, you make sure the tool is ready for use before you, you go anywhere. And uh, that's that is always my routine. I see comments on Facebook, by the way, Matthew, and it drives me crazy. You know, guys talk about like, um, well, I know my gun's always loaded. You know, like because there was a question one time in a forum about do you do press checks, and guys are like, no, my gun's always loaded, always loaded, always loaded. And I'm like, okay, whatever, dude, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I like that confirmation, and I have seen also situations. We just had it in our class on Saturday where somebody thought they were loaded. We were getting ready to do a drill. We had just been doing a bunch of shooting. Uh, we we were leaving them hot, meaning they were guns were going back in the holster hot. They were coming out the firing line, reloading. You know, like we were we were running a hot range. Uh, everyone you know was safe and did things uh, correctly and appropriately. Uh, but somebody did at some point get up to the firing line, pull the trigger, and went click, and there was nothing in the chamber even though they thought there was, right? So, yeah, I, I do. I do Every morning, I pull the gun out of the safe, pull the magazine out, I do a little press check. Yep, rounds in the chamber, magazine back in, fully seated, and then it goes in the holster. I usually put a gun in the holster first, and then, I'm, and then I put the, the holster-gun combo on my waist. Uh, I, I, that's just generally how I operate. And then, I'll, you know, a lot of times, too, I'll do some uh, dry fire before I go out for the day. So there are definitely opportunities, too, where I'll actually unload the firearm entirely, uh, put it on, do my dry fire, you know, get those reps in, make sure I'm ready for the day, and then reload it, make sure it's actually ready to go, put it back in the holster, put it back on my waist. Um, you know, so, yeah, take opportunities to, to check your guns ready and that, uh, that your gear is ready. I look over my holsters, make sure the screws are tightened down. Uh, this was a small thing. You touched on it already a little bit, Matthew, talking about, uh, sometimes you got to tighten things down and use a little bit of Loctite. I really do really, I really truly appreciate holster manufacturers that actually install their holsters or, or manufacture them with already Loctited screws. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a small gesture that to me makes, it really makes a big deal because I have had holsters come apart and I try to, I try to stay on top of it. I try to inspect, I try to make sure things are good. And now by default, every holster I get, if, if I don't see it has Loctite already on the screws and hardware, I take it apart and I apply Loctite to everything. And you usually 
don't have to worry about as much at that point. Um, but uh, recently, once again, the LEG Tactical Defender uh, Series holster, um, everything, every screw comes with Loctite. And I just, I just love that. I mean, it's such mm. a small thing, but it makes a, it truly does make a big difference. Absolutely. Sorry, kind of rambled on there. Uh, <laughs> it's my ten, my tendency. Uh, I, I think we got through most everything. Uh, I, I hope this was helpful for folks, including manufacturers out there. Uh, you know, cut your holsters right. Yeah, make sure that we're not creating problems with drawing our guns. Uh, reduce bulk where we can and where it makes sense. Round the corners. Um, use good, high-quality hardware and clips and uh, Loctited screws, uh, washers, uh, rubber washers. Uh, we see that more and more. A lot of these uh, holsters that come with, you know, screws and they got a rubber washer as well. And like it takes away squeaks and things also generally t- stay pretty well tightened uh, where those are used uh, appropriately as well. Um, what else? The retention. Yeah, adjustable retention is always great. High quality clips that retain themselves well to to the belt and they don't break. Uh, good quality material. Yeah. So, did we miss anything? I don't think so. I think we uh, we hit that pretty well. I agree. I mean, it's been a fairly long episode already, as is typical when you and I get together. <laughs> uh, you know, lots of good stuff to, to to think about, to talk about, and and I hope this makes you, our listeners, a little bit more educated in as far as what to look for and how to find a good quality, well-built, well-designed holster. Uh, if you have any questions or anything at all, let us know. Contact us through our contact page at concealedcarry.com. Hit us up on Facebook uh, on our Concealed Carry page. You can shoot us a message that way. We're always open to questions and suggestions. And if you want to know something specific about a holster, uh, just ask. And uh, I'm here for you. I'm your resource. Um, definitely I love hearing from from listeners, and I know Matthew, you do too, and you're always willing to to be uh, uh, helpful in that regard as well. Yeah, I try. Yeah, <laughs> uh, today's episode, by the way, uh, our sponsors. Uh, Got to mention. Uh, well, I already mentioned the beginning Guardian Nation. Just a reminder of tonight's uh, Guardian Nation live event with Tim Schmidt from the USCCA. Uh, please join us there. It'll be be a great time. Uh, today's other sponsors are Pig Lube. Uh, I just love Pig Lube. Now, in full disclosure, Pig Lube sponsors me as a shooter, as a competitive shooter. Uh, I but I truly love and and I use and believe in the product. It works incredibly well. The applicator, I think, is genius. Uh, it's very it's very little mess. There's really there's no mess uh, because of it. It's app is it's special applicator that I have not seen on any other lube product. Their PLC cleaner, their solvent is fantastic. Uh, it feels like water when you're working with it, but it, it clearly isn't water. Uh, it, it does the job very effectively, uh, but it just doesn't, it doesn't smell as bad. It doesn't, uh, it's not as harmful on your hands or on, 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 on plastics or anything like that. It's a really great product. Please check out Pig Lube today. Available at concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube, P-I-G-L-U-B-E, and uh, check it out there. I mean, it's reasonably priced for the high-quality lube and and solvent products that uh, that they have there. Uh, have you used pig lube, Matt? Yeah, I, I love it, it's, and it smells amazing, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the bacon-scented stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not super. Just so folks know, there's probably a misconception that it like is overwhelmingly, you know, like like you no, open up no. the cap and it's like bacon. No, it, it, it's it's quite subtle, but it's fun uh, and it's enjoyable. 
Uh, today's other sponsor is Quick Draw, and Quick Draw specifically makes a lubricant designed for holsters. Uh, it also it's got uh, lanolin in it, and so you can use it to condition leather holsters, especially too. And it works really well in that regard. But I'll use it. I'll, I, I regularly clean my holsters. I'll basically spray a light coat of Quick Draw on the holster. Take a rag, wipe it all over. It cl- cleans away the dust, uh, the grit. Uh, makes you know conditions the holster, makes it look nice and new and clean and shiny again. But it also makes it so that your draw stroke can be consistent. Uh, if you just if you have just a nice light coating of Quick Draw, uh, if you reapply it. You know, depending on how many times you use your holster, but if, I generally reapply about once a week or maybe once every two weeks to my most commonly used holsters, and it just keeps things clean and consistent. And I have found, and, and by the way, you can have your retention torqued down and, and set at a very nice uh, point as far as retention is concerned, but once the retention breaks, it just it frees up the rest of the holster, like the the gun just. It, it, it just slides on out of there. Uh, and so we found in testing that a, a, about a 10 to 15% decrease in draw to first shot times because it speeds you up just that just that little bit. So check out Quick Draw at concealedcarry.com. We just got a whole new shipment of it in the warehouse. Uh, so it's there. It's rocking and roaring and ready to go. Uh, so find Quick Draw in our online store at concealedcarry.com. On to picks of the week. Matthew, what's your pick this week? Um, I am going to pick um, something that I just finished up reviewing. Um, it's uh, the PL Mini Valkyrie Tack Light from Olight. Um, really cool, real small, um, weapon-mounted light, rechargeable, uh, 400 lumens. I, I liked it. Nice uh, way it, that it attaches to the rail. So, um, yeah, I did a, I did a uh, review video that kind of compared it to the uh the original pl2 valkyrie um the 1200 lumen monster um super bright tack light so yeah so i i like it i think it's really cool nice i was really intrigued seeing this uh my probably one concern would be finding a holster <laughs> that uh, yeah. you know would work with it i mean obviously there's some custom guys out there that could do it um m- most likely you could probably send your light to some, some of these manufacturers and say hey you know make me a holster that fits this on my on my Glock 19 or whatever but uh it it looks like a great little package and super bright um so yeah that's a great pick man nice my pick this week is I, I touched on this a little bit a few episodes ago. Um, recently, I built an AR pistol. Um, I had never built an AR pistol before. Um, I finally decided, yeah, I'm going to do it, and uh, I'm really digging this thing. In fact, I I, <laughs> I find myself still drooling over this AR pistol as opposed to <laughs> even my really nice high end AR-15s, um, just because it it's so cool, it's so slick, it's so small. And one of the reasons it's so small, and this is my pick this week, it's specifically the Law Tactical uh, Folding uh, Stock Adapter. This is a brilliant, genius product for anyone that wants to shorten the overall length of their AR-15. Uh, now, you can't, it doesn't mean that you can now fire your AR with a folded stock. It does not mean that at all. At all, you still need that buffer and uh, buffer spring, uh, you know, for your bolt to come back. 
and uh, it's got to have somewhere to travel. Uh, now, it can, in theory, be fired with the stock folded. You're just going to get one shot off. You, They do caution that you'll likely damage the lock that prevents the uh, bolt from shooting backward at you as you if you were to fire it with the stock folded. Um, there's a big uh, warning, you know, print right here on the back here saying close before firing. Uh, but the whole point is to make it smaller for transport. And quite literally, this AR pistol with a 7-inch barrel uh, and the Law Tactical Folding Stock Adapter makes it... So this thing is about, oh golly, I think it's like 19 inches long overall, which means it's small enough that in my standard backpack, the same backpack I used in college, I can throw this in my backpack. Oh, and I can cool. grab it, pull it out, pull, or pull it out, extend, you know, just fold that stock out, and uh, this thing's ready ready for use. So I know I talked, like I said, about the AR before, but specifically my pick today is the Law Tactical Folding Stock Adapter. A brilliant product. I love it. It is it is great. So if you're looking to make yours smaller <laughs> like this, especially for transport, check it out. Uh, they're not. You know, they're not exactly cheap. I think they're about $200, but I think there's some really strong advantages by 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 having it and using it, especially in this context where I, I was trying to make a basically a truck gun as compact as possible, uh, and I think I've achieved that pretty well. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. So there you have it. Coming up next, uh, boy, I've, I've got a ton of editorial and, and articles, uh, reviews I've got to write and complete. Uh, Matthew, I know you got some stuff. You're always working on something. We appreciate all the work you do for us at concealedcarry.com. Definitely, definitely. Anything else you want to throw out there? No, no. Uh, I, I really appreciate you having me back and uh, put me on the spot a couple times. That's good. <laughs> Got to keep you on your toes. toes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right on, man. It's always a pleasure. Uh, So, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode today. Uh, Go make wise choices and and purchasing decisions with regards to your holsters and then learn how to actually use them. Actually use your guns with those holsters. Make sure you can draw. Make sure you practice that a bunch. Uh, It's just I can't emphasize how important it is. So, once again, I hope the episode was helpful. Uh, everyone take care out there. Be safe. Uh, you know, with everything that went on in Las Vegas recently, and, and it, it, the world's a scary place. Uh, so take care. Be careful out there. And don't forget to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.